You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. Today we are uh, doing a little bit different kind of uh, service, but not really because uh, we just finished a series on doctrine. And I think that's really why I felt led for us to do uh, a deacon ordination service on Sunday morning. Uh, we have two young men in our church that are being ordained to the uh, uh, service role of uh, deacon in the church today. And um, I'll kind of bring them up at the end of the service. And uh, at the end of the second service, we'll actually uh, be laying hands upon them, praying over them. Uh, but the reason I want to do it on Sunday morning is this. Uh, not only do they need to hear what deacon ministry is about, our church needs to be aware of what deacon ministry is about also. So that's why I really want us just to, to lock in and look at it uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, the, uh, the two new deacons are Ken Knight and Will Rudisell. And like I said, we'll have them to come up in just a moment. Uh, David Hall is the uh, uh, lead uh, of our deacon team leader of our deacon team. He's the one that read the scripture to you. Uh, Will Rogers, William Rogers, led us in prayer. Uh, also from our deacons just a moment ago, we have some other deacons that will be involved uh, at the second service. I want to bring up one mention of uh, deacons to start with. We will actually get to the verses and go through the verses in just a few moments that you've already had read to you. But uh, Paul writes this in Philippians. He's writing to believers there at the church of Philippi. And he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to just look at at these two verses to start with, maybe to set a little bit of a context or to help us draw some assumptions that I think will help as we generally look at uh, deacon ministry today and, and what the Bible has to say about it. Here's the first assumption. Paul, who was one of the apostles chosen by Christ, refers to himself as a servant. And, and the word is actually doulos in the Greek that talks about being a bondservant. So he's a servant of Christ. So here's an implication from that. If Paul, who is writing, calls himself a servant, and he's an apostle, and he's writing to believers at Philippi, and he talks about the overseers, which would be the pastors, and also the deacons there, then I think a strong implication is this. If the one who's writing this, inspired of God, who's an apostle, views himself as a servant, that means that all the others should view themselves as servants also. It is a servant role within the church. Here's a second implication. Timothy, who's also mentioned by Paul, was being trained by Paul as a church planning pastor. And he also refers to Timothy as a servant. So the same implication I talked about Paul just a moment ago would be true of Timothy if he in that role as a church planning pastor is a servant, then the overseers and the deacons that he writes to also would consider themselves as servants of Christ. Here's the third implication. Notice Paul makes mention of all the saints at Philippi prior to making mention of the overseers and the deacons. Now, here's something that might be a little bit radical, you know, maybe for some people. I don't think it's radical. I think it's biblical. And and that is this. God is concerned about the health of the whole church. And one person, whether it be myself as a pastor or some individual as a deacon, we should never try and get, quote, our way at the expense of the health of the church. Because he even refers to the church first before he mentions the overseers and the deacons. Another implication might be this. Uh, The word overseer in the Greek is episkopi, which refers to bishops. And a lot of theologians, some 
you know, people view this differently. But a lot of theologians view this term to be used interchangeably, and you can find it as so in the New Testament, for elder or pastor or bishop, the word being used interchangeably. The word actually means this, a superintendent, the Christian officer in charge of the church, root words that is built upon means over and the scope. So it almost gives the the idea of uh, we get our word scope from it, as a matter of fact. But uh, it's almost the idea of someone peering over. Uh, you know, scoping something out, someone uh, being an overseer of the church, trying to watch out for trouble in the church or in the lives of, of church members, trying to guide them in the right way. Uh, somebody being skeptic. I, I don't have a lot of problem with that because I'm an ex-cop. I'm skeptic about everything. <laughs> but somebody being a little bit skeptic of things, you know, instead of just wholeheartedly uh, allowing anything uh, in, into the church. Uh, to watch like a sentry scout. In other words, someone's, you know, being sent out as a scout, a sentry, and they're posted on a, a wall or a high place that they can view, and they're watching out for the other troops or where they can give an alarm if there's some enemy to be on the way. Uh, Paul mentions the overseers prior to the mention of deacons also, if you start looking at this verse, maybe in order of, of what's said. I'll give a word study about deacons uh, later as we get into the message. Uh, a fifth implication may be this. Notice that Paul gives the same greeting or wish for all who he's writing to. Paul writes to them, and he is wishing grace to them. And he wishes grace and peace from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, to everyone there. He wishes it to the church body. He wishes it to the bishops, to the overseers. He wishes grace and peace to the deacons that are there. He gives the same wish to all of them. And I think maybe here's something we can learn from that. They're all on the same team. They're all serving the same Lord. They're all serving Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul wishes this blessing to them, grace and peace to you, to not just some element of the church, but to all of the church. And that maybe defines how we ought to view ourselves as a church. We're on the same team. Matter of fact, not just this church, every true church is on the same team. We're all serving the same Lord. It's not like we're split and splintered and divided up, even though they're different denominations and things like that. We are serving the same Lord. Regrettably, in a lot of churches, you'll have, you know, polarized lines take place to where it's like, well, the deacons are over here and we're going to keep an eye on the pastor and be sure he does everything he's supposed to do. And the, and the, the pastor's over there kind of almost opposed to the deacons and things like that. That shouldn't be in the Word of God. We're part of the same team, serving the same Lord, having the same motives together. And that's just some implications I think we can, we can learn from that passage before we jump right in end of the message. So those implications or assumptions, let me, uh, let's kind of look more fully at, at the ministry of deacons. To start with, let's point out some misconceptions that I think uh, have developed over the years about deacon uh, ministry. Here's misconception number one. Misconception number one is that the deacons run the church. Uh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, most, you know, most places, a lot of places I've pastored before, I could bring some of this stuff out and they would be asking me to leave afterwards, probably. But I'm just trying to give you a biblical picture of what the Bible has to say. You, you see, here, here's a little bit of a newsflash for us, maybe. It is not their church, the deacon's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. The church belongs to who? Jesus. Look, look at some verses here. Jesus said, I will build whose church? My church. In Corinthians, it says, you are not your own. This isn't just written to deacons. This is written to all of us. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We, we've been bought and paid for with a price, with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In Colossians, it says this, and he is the head of the body, the church. Pastor's not the head of it. Deacons aren't the head of it. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Look at the next verse. 
For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head, notice this, of all rule and authority. Jesus is the one that ought to have rule and authority. Now, someone might be asking themselves, well, how does Jesus come to a church leadership meeting and exercise his authority? I think here's how it better happen. We better use the Word of God. Amen? We better allow the Word of God to settle issues and controversies and, 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 and lead us and guide us and give us our vision and mission for the church. That's how Jesus can show up with his word. That's why his word needs to guide us. 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, it says, But I want you to understand that the head of every man, not just the deacons, not just the pastor, the head of every person, every man, every woman, is who? Christ. He's the head of the church. So there's one misconception there, that the deacons are supposed to rule or run the church. Misconception number two is this. The deacons are a board that simply meets. <laughs> in, in other words, that's all they do is kindly meet. Um, a strong picture of the exact opposite of that is found in Stephen. Stephen is one of the first servants. And, and, and by the way, you know, we'll like I said, we'll look more at the word in just a moment. But basically, the word deacon means a servant. And in Acts chapter 6, when those were chosen out in Acts chapter 6, they were chosen out to be servants in the church to help wait the tables there so the, the apostles, which would kind of be like you know the pastors today that are preparing messages to preach, would have more time to study and pray. Stephen was one of the men that was chosen out. I want you to notice something about the ministry of Stephen. To begin with, Stephen went out after he was chosen out to be a servant in the church and started proclaiming the gospel. And as he proclaimed the gospel there, it really, really got him in trouble. So much so they seized him. They arrested him because of what he was saying. Then, as they are talking to Stephen about what he had been doing, Stephen gives a very calm, I'm saying this in jest, politically correct speech to them. Look what Stephen says. You stiff-necked people. That's how he starts out his message. Bet he won them over in the first few lines, you know? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, talking about Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. What did he just say? I mean, he, he more or less said, you, you're a bunch of thick-headed, not-headed people, to bring it down in, in maybe more modern lingo. Uh, and he says, you won't listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides you. Your fathers murdered the prophets who proclaimed that Jesus was coming. You murdered Jesus after he came into the world, and he was here offering the kingdom, and you murdered him, and you received the law, the word of God delivered by angels, and yet you don't keep it. That's what he said to them. He wasn't trying to earn friends, was he? He wasn't playing, scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. That's what he told them. After he is seized, he is stoned to death. Now, I'm just telling you, I don't know that that fits the definition of deacons just being a board that meet once a month. I think he had been safe if he had been part of a board that just met once a month. That sounded like he felt like he had something he needed to do for Jesus, and it cost him everything to do it. Now, even though he's stoned, and that sounds like, oh, 
You know, you might be worried for these two guys down here right now. <laughs> you know what? Serving Jesus is worth the cost no matter what it costs us. I want you to see the rest of the story. And he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. This is what he's seeing right before they're going to stone him to death, Stephen. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Man, this passage has always blessed me. You know where you see Jesus most of the time after he ascends and he's alluded to in Scripture? What does it tell us most of the time? He is what at the right hand of God? Seated. And here, in response to the obedient service of Stephen, Jesus, the one who bled and died for Stephen and us, Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father. Man, that ought to give you chill bumps. Jesus stands as this is happening to Stephen. Maybe he stands just as an encouragement and allows Stephen to see it. Maybe Jesus is standing there waiting for the spirit of Stephen as he's stoned to death to come to him. But he stands there. And that gives me this, this implication. They just maybe if we'll stand as we should for Jesus here on the earth, He'll stand for us in heaven. No matter what you're facing, no matter what it might be costing you, there's a Savior who loves you, who is so honored by the fact that you stand for Him. Just maybe He'll honor you by standing for you there in heaven. I tell you, I'll give some people called chill bumps to think about Jesus standing in heaven for them. See, other people were watching too. We're told in the next chapter, in chapter 8, that Paul was standing there. His name was still Saul. And he was consenting to the death of Stephen. But I dare say what he heard Stephen say and what Stephen said he saw was probably still ringing in his ears as he was on the road to Damascus taking Christians to be persecuted. And Jesus appears to him and knocks him down blind. And Saul becomes Paul, who's a Christian. He saw what happened that day. Other people see when we stand for Jesus. When we stand for Jesus without a shame. When we stand for Jesus without any kind of abandonment whatsoever. When we just are completely unabandoned to Him. When we stand for Jesus in that way, it gets the attention of people. Here's another <clears throat> misconception. The deacons are simply politically elected at church. Because the very first servants that are set aside, and we might have done a dishonor sometimes in the translation of Scripture, maybe instead of coming up with a word, you see, didaskinos is the word, we'll see it in a few moments, but instead of coming up with that word as an English language bringing letters over, maybe we ought to just translate it as servant. Because these first servants that were chosen to help wait the tables, look what happened. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Notice this, whom we will appoint to this duty. You will not find anywhere in the Bible where they had a deacon election. And I know that's strange in this area because that's just what, you know, churches have adopted for some reason through the years. And I pastor churches that do it both ways. I pastor churches that as they needed to add deacons on would have an election by the church body and elect deacons. I've pastored churches also in the past who were electing deacons and they'd rotate off every three years and they'd elect more deacons. Can I tell you what will happen if you're not careful? You just create a political environment in the church. And the Bible does not tell us. It, it, it said for the church to pick them out. It doesn't say they had a vote or ballots or anything like that. It said go pick out. And, and, and I get the opinion from looking at the, at the Greek that they just went and they looked and they selected who they thought would be the best for that position. Those that had good repute. We'll talk about 
this more near the end of the message and full of the Spirit and wisdom. But they said, whom we will appoint to this duty. It just appears to me that they were appointed to serve in the deacon role based upon those qualifications, and it wasn't an election, a political election that took place. And I'll tell you, tons of churches, and matter of fact, when we first started, and one of our, our members, matter of fact, is, is, is Brian up there this morning? Is he not there? I think it was Brian. And Brian's most of the time up there in the dark. We can't see me. Well, I was trying to see if he was there. But Brian was at work talking to somebody, and we just kind of started day three, and and uh, he told them, well, you know, they were asking questions about it. And he told them, well, one thing, we, we weren't having deacon elections. And the fellow said, well, I don't know what to think about that. And, man, I could have pat Brian on the back afterwards. Brian said, well, read it in the Bible and show me where it says in the Bible that they had a deacon election. It, it, it doesn't say it. I mean, for some reason, we adopted it in. Churches had adopted it in. Maybe they adopted it in just trying to be, you know, uh, like you know, a democracy, you know, like our nation. But you see, the thing about it, the church definitely, to start with, I think our nation was set up as a theocracy because it says one nation under God. But I guarantee you the church is supposed to be a theocracy. We're supposed to be under God and Jesus, the head of it, and it's not ran like any other organization on the face of the earth because you don't do it politically. Number four, misconception. Deacons tell the pastor, bishop, elder when to resign or leave. (laughs) Now, I know that's going to sound terribly self-serving, but I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about in general. And, and Paul gives the qualifications of bishops and elders and pastors. He, he lists that in the Bible. It's listed over in, in, uh, in Timothy. And we'll, we'll uh, look at the qualifications of deacons uh, a little bit later in the message. But he, he always lists the qualifications of the bishops, elders, and pastors first and in the leadership role capacity. And then it appears, even based upon what we're going to look at in a moment in Acts, it appears that the deacons were to be servants to kind of be like pastor helpers. It is what it appears to me the Bible had it set up to be. Somewhere along the way, because of the political elections and everything else, I, you know, I've, I've, exp- I've been in the ministry for 28 years now, going on 29, uh, and... Uh, you know, some of you have been in those you know, been in some leadership capacities in churches and, and things like that too. And, and I'm just telling you, there are a lot of churches out there that the main thing the deacons think they're there for is to keep the pastor under their thumb and to tell him when to leave uh, or what to do. I'm sorry, I don't see that in the Bible. Now, neither do I see the pastor being a demigod to where he sets up here and he rules over everyone and and tells you what to do. He has to set the example himself. The Bible clearly says that. The pastor has to set the example in with it. And and I'm telling you, when it comes down to whoever's the pastor or whoever the deacons, our churches need to be very careful who they have in those capacities. You know, to begin with, to try and guard from having a lot of the, the issues that can take place. Honestly, I've heard deacons make comments like, and not, you know, not toward me, but about a staff person. I heard a deacon one time say, well, let's just give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. I thought you're supposed to help. I mean, if there's a problem there, let them know there's a problem there. Got them, you know? Pull alongside of them. You know, that, that, that is nowhere in the mentality of, of how... The, the church ought to operate. Like I said earlier, we're to be a team together. Paul wished that grace and peace to the whole church. And we're to have that mentality, the pastor, the deacons, the other leaders, of being a team together. So what's the meaning then? That's some misconceptions. You understand those misconceptions? Have you seen those misconceptions? You know, some of you might not even know there are misconceptions. I think when you look at the Bible, some, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of those things I just talked to you about are misconceptions about what deacon ministry biblically is supposed to be about. Number two, the meaning of the word deacon. It's the word diakonos. Here's what it means. To run on errands, to be an attendant, to be a waiter like at a table or in other menial duties. The most basic meaning when you study it out all the way, is just simply somebody that's willing to get down in the dust and go through the dust to do whatever is necessary in order that the ministry of the church 
may take place. It applies a servant role where someone is willing to get down in the dirt and do whatever's necessary to fulfill the role of a servant to others and to the church itself. The, the role of the deacon in the church is a servant role. It's not the typical board that manages the church business. Somewhere the church adopted that, but that's not what the word means in the Bible. It means someone who's a, who's a waiter. Even like having to wait those tables that we'll talk about here in just just a moment. So, what's the motivation for the ministry of deacons? What was the motivation? What caused it to come about to start with? David Hall read these verses to you earlier. Let's look at them in more detail. Now, in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, in other words, the church is going really fast. A complaint by the Helena, some, some translations will say by the, by the Greek women, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So as people were being fed and ministered to and things provided for them, you remember the culture that we saw in the early church when we looked at the early church in Acts a couple of weeks ago? And there in the early church, it showed how people were selling their possessions and trying to take care of the poor and give to people as they had need. And if someone is really, truly a widow and a widow, a widow indeed, and there's no one else to care for her and, and to take for her, the food items or maybe clothing, whatever is being handed out on that day. See, it almost became a racial type thing because the Jews, evidently the Hebrew widows were being taken care of very good, but the Greek widows weren't being taken care of as well. That's, that's the issue that was taking place. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said unto them, the 12, of course, about the, those 12 closest to Jesus, and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Now, someone might say, well, why seven? Does, it, does the church only have to have seven? No, they chose seven at that time. I think one of the things might have been behind the seven was that that in, the, in a Hebrew city was the number of people that was appointed to kind of be like uh, judges over the city and help decide issues and problems over the city. They would have seven that, that were there. Uh, word seven also in the Bible gives the idea of completion or perfection uh, sometimes. So maybe the idea is being given that these men being chosen out would help complete the ministry that needed to take place. But it said, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the Word. So what was the motive in first selecting these servants anyway and, and setting them aside to serve in this servant role? Basically, the motive was this, because more ministry was needing to take place. They needed more people to help in the ministry. I mean, it kind of sounds pretty logical to me. You know, they, they needed more servants to help because additional servants were needed. Because everything couldn't take place because these ladies were not being cared for. These widows in, 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 who were Greek believers who had been converted were not being cared for as they should. So the motive was if we're going to care for them, we need more people, more servants to help. The motivation for deacon ministry is to serve Jesus and other people to honor Jesus and to reach out to others, to minister to others. The church was growing really fast in that point in time. The apostles could not do it all. And they came to this conclusion. Their conclusion was simply this. It's not good for us to leave studying the Bible and praying and preparing messages to where we can be proclaiming the Word of God to people because that's why people were being converted. It's not good that we leave that in order to go over and wait on the table. And guys, to me, that's just as logical as everything in the world. Can I tell you something I've adopted in my own ministry? I'll just tell you. Our deacons know what I've told them. I'm going to focus on what I think my best gifts are. 
And if other things go undone, then they go undone until someone else steps in that's gifted to do that. My best gifts are this. Spending time in this and trying to get something to feed you and to give you on Sunday. That is the most important thing. That's not to say that it's not important to go to the hospital and visit people, which I do. That's, you know, but, I, but I'm saying the most important thing for me, I understand. I didn't used to understand it as much. And there have been times in my life at other churches I have ran myself ragged just running errands and going buying stuff and picking up stuff or whatever it is it needs. And I still do that sometimes too. But I'm telling you, and it might just be my old age slowing me down, but I've come to the point that I understand I have to focus on what the most important thing is. And the most important thing for me in this church is me spend time here to be able to give you something. And, and that's the reason why they had this motivation to choose some servant leaders in the church to begin with. That, that's why we need more people at day three. That's why we need more deacons at day three so we can you know, run a family ministry plan and help meet people's needs and help you, know, help you not fall through the woodwork. And uh, You see, if I'm standing up here preaching... The number of people we have, especially like the second service and everything, you could be gone a month before I even know it. But if we've got enough deacons who are serving in day three church who can have you know, enough families that are manageable assigned underneath them for them to be servants and ministers to those families, then that helps divide it in a manageable way to where they can see when you've missed and they can check on you and they can pray for you and they can ask you what's going on in your life. Now, I'm a little bit selfish over stuff like that. I wish I had time to spend time with every one of you. But I can't anymore. <laughs> you know, I just I had to figure that out a couple of years ago. But I just can't. And that's why I have to focus on what's the most important thing. Multiplication. I want you to notice what happened. What happened when they got this thing right? When they came up with this God-ordained system that seems to me Look at, at what happened after they got this right and they were waiting on tables. Jump down to the next main point, please, guys. On down the next one. Main point. One more time. Thank you. Multiplication resulting from the, from the ministry of deacons. Something very good happened because these deacons were appointed to serve. Now, understand in Acts, it does not call them deacons. It refers to them as servants. That's what they're called also over in Timothy. Somewhere along the way, we, we've came up with these, with these titles and things in the church. Look at the multiplication that resulted from the ministry of deacons. Acts chapter 6, verse 5 down through verse 7. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Now I want you to notice, look at verse 7 real closely. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Did you see two huge things that happened right there because of the ministry of these first servants in the church, these first deacons? Here's two huge things that happened. The Word of God continued to increase. Why? Because the apostles had time to study and pray and prepare to proclaim the Word. That's why the Word of God increased. And the second huge thing that happened was this. The number of the disciples was multiplied. Focus on that word multiplied. Because up until this point, the church had been growing. But every time up until now, the Bible tells us that God added to the church. Look at these verses. Acts chapter 2, verse number 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day, and, and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts chapter 2, 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added 
to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. But after you have these first deacon servants being appointed to help do the ministry, the number of the disciples, we're told, multiplied greatly. All of a sudden, you change over from addition to multiplication. I don't focus a lot in math anymore because I'm not called to use math a whole lot. I wonder now why I had to take some of it in high school. Do you ever wonder that? Or in college? Why did I need calculus in high school or college, either one? I understand it, it helps you think, you know, more logically and stuff. Maybe it helped me some about studying the Bible. But, but, you know, that's not what I'm called to do. I'm called to do something completely different. But while I'm not a math major, I understand that when you multiply versus adding something up, it grows faster, Right? And what happened here, because of the apostles being allowed to have the time to study and pray and prepare the messages and proclaim the word, and because of people were being cared for through the ministry of these early servants in the church, all of a sudden, instead of God adding to the church, God multiplied the church. And guys, that's just what happens when people get involved in ministry. I'm not just talking about deacons right now. Over the next two weeks, you're going to hear two messages about what is your life. I mean, what, is, what are you really building your life around? And what will it matter out in eternity? And what are you doing to serve Jesus? That's what the next two weeks are going to be about. I probably shouldn't have told you all that because some of you might think, I ain't showing up for that. But that's what happens when more people use their gifts. I mean, think about it. Daryl and myself are the only, quote, pastors, you know, like full-time pastors on staff at Day 3 Church. What would grow the church best? If Daryl and myself were the only ones serving? Or if Daryl and myself and the deacons were the only ones serving? Or if about 400 people found out what they were supposed to do for Christ and got busy doing it? What's going to grow the church the fastest? I'm thinking 400 people understanding how God has wired them, how they're made, and getting involved in church ministry. I'm thinking that's going to grow the church faster than just two or maybe nine people being involved. Amen? Don't you think that's logical? See, the Bible gives us a picture of Christ being the head of the church. And we're all parts of the church. We're His body. Jesus is the head of it, and we make up of all the various parts. But to be honest with you, most churches are limping through ministry because they've got missing parts in the body. I mean, it's like a person with their leg gone. How fast can you run or hobble or walk or whatever, you know, if you have a leg gone? or arms missing, or whatever the case might be. And that's the problem with most churches today in America. They only view the paid staff as the ones that are supposed to do stuff, and they fail to realize God calls all of us to be priests unto Him. God calls all of us to be servants unto Him. God has gifted all of you to find your part in the body, and when everybody finds their part in the body, then you can function like the church ought to function. If not, you're going to look like the Carolina Panthers last season. They had a lot of missing parts. And that's what a church will be like. We'll just limp through ministry. So let's close out by talking about the model uh, for the role of deacon. What's the model that's given us in the Bible for the role of deacon? We're going to go back to Acts uh, and then also move up into Timothy. Let me read this again to you in Acts. They give these instructions out. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint over this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Look at some qualifications that are found there in that passage of Scripture. When they first chose out these servants, who I think picture the role of, of deacons in the church. Here, here's the first requirement. The candidates had to be men. Ladies, I'm sorry, I'm not making this up. 
It's not my fault. Argue with God about it. I'm just telling you what the Bible has to say. The Greek word that's translated men, that's exactly what it means. It means men. There's another Greek word that could have been inserted there by the Holy Spirit of God if it were to mean human beings generically. That's not the word that's used. The word that is used there is a specific term for men. So the candidates had to be men. Here's something really radical. The candidates had to be Christians. They had to be believers. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, I th- I'm, I'm sorry, but I think some churches choose out their lay leaders based upon their business sense more than they choose them out based upon their, their, their scriptural sense, their biblical understanding. They had to be believers. They had to be picked out from among them. The candidates had to possess good reputation. It said they had to be of good repute. In other words, they were known for integrity in their lives. The candidates had to be spiritually solid. It said there in the text, full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, led by the Holy Spirit, understanding spiritual things. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about someday the Holy Spirit just floods in, knocks them down, and then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's talking about them allowing the Holy Spirit of God to lead them and to guide them. The candidates were to have spiritual wisdom slash common sense. Because the Greek word really addresses both of those. They're to have clear wisdom, wisdom based upon clear truth. Where do you find clear truth at? Here. So so they need to have scriptural wisdom and sense about them. But also a man that's able to demonstrate or apply God's truth in appropriate life situations. You know, to be able to use it in common sense ways. All those are some qualifications that are found there in Acts when they first chose out these deacons. Look at 1 Timothy again. The church has grown. The church has been around a little while. Paul's writing now. And writing to young Timothy who he's preparing to go out and be a church planner. The pastor churches. And he's giving him instructions about how the church ought to operate. Right on the heels of having given the qualifications for the bishop or the pastor, First Timothy chapter three, verse eight through thirteen says this deacons likewise. The word likewise means there's stuff back up there connected to the pastors that need to be involved in their life too. Deacons likewise must be dignified. We'll break that down a minute. Let me just read through it. Uh, Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as a deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's break that down and look at some of those words that were used there. They're to be dignified. That doesn't mean they go around like a prune face and they never smile. And they never have any fun. It means they're to be honorable people. Devout people. In other words, they they really are concerned about reading their Bible and prayer. Stuff like that. Honest people. It said not double-tongued. And and it literally means in the Greek telling a different story. In other words, you're not saying something to one person and turn around saying something else to another person being two-faced about it. Now, I have literally experienced this. I have, in more traditional settings, had a deacon to say one thing and agree with one thing in a deacon's meeting, and then when something came out for a church vote before the church body, they, had, they said something completely different. You see, if that's going to happen, if someone had changed their mind, they needed to call all the other deacons together, and the pastor said, well, I, you know, I know I felt like this, but now I think I feel like this. I mean, be honest and forthcoming about it. Don't be telling one person one thing and one person the other. 
Don't be blowing smoke up somebody's backside, for lack of a better term, and then turn around and be stabbing them in the back with somebody else. Not saying one thing and then doing another. Look at the third thing they said there. Boy, we get in trouble in most Baptist churches with this one, wouldn't we? Now, if you're, if you're new here, not been around here much, we are a Baptist church. The sign doesn't say it. Here's why. I didn't want people to assume they knew what day three church was like before they walked in the church doors. Because granted, even though we're affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention, we are not like the average Southern Baptist church in this area. Some people think we're more liberal. I don't think so. I think we probably hold true to the Bible more than a lot of churches that think they're conservative, to be honest with you. Because being conservative is saying what the Bible really says, and it's not just making it up to whatever you want it to be. I did a whole message a little bit over a year ago, maybe, something like that, where you handed in questions you wanted to hear about. One question you turned in, the title of the series was, you asked for it. One question you turned in was this, is it all right for a Christian to drink alcoholic beverages? I told you when I started that message, I would have gotten kicked out of most Baptist churches. Here's what it says, not addicted to much wine. Doesn't mean it's a sin for anyone to ever drink anything. Now, I also told you that I don't because my dad was an alcoholic and I've got a lot of water under the bridge that holds me back from that. But but it says, not addicted to much wine. It means to hold the mind towards, to, to pay attention to, to apply oneself to. In other words, it's talking about what controls or what drives a person's life. It's talking about real wine because it says effervescence or fermented is what the word means here. There's some cases that the word wine talked about something that was more juice-like. Here, I'm telling you, you see, juice, when, when juice becomes wine, it has the effervescence take place. That, and that's why the word's there. So it is, it, you know, honestly... In this area, I think it's tough for you to go out and try and drink something in this area because it's a stumbling block to people in this area, and I think it's very hard for you to do it because of the culture that we live in. At the same time, it is not a sin for a person just to have a drink. It is a sin for it to control their life. So here we're even told that someone that's a deacon could take a drink of wine, but if it's somebody that lets it control their lives, they're disqualified. Number four, not greedy for dishonest gain. As a matter of fact, the way this is structured in the Greek, you could say they're not addicted to money also. We're talking about not being addicted to wine. You could also say they're not addicted to money. It it talks about sordid or shameful gain. In other words, a person's not doing anything they can just to make a buck. That's not what the driving force of their life is. And that's not what they're going to use the ministry for or their role or position in the church for. It's just to try and make some money for themselves in some way. The Bible says that's not the right focus. It also says this. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It it literally means the word hold means to hold as your own personal possession. You're holding, think about that. You're holding the the marvelous gospel. It saved you and you're holding it in your heart with a clear conscience. You're authentic. You know what it means. You know what the gospel is. And it really means something to you. You have a clear conscience about it because you know in whom you've believed and you're holding to that. You understand the importance of it. It's so wonderful. There's even a part of the word study here that that means to shut the mouth. The the word mystery literally means to shut the mouth. The gospel is so wonderful, it it can almost shut the mouth of anyone that stands against it. And that's the focus of of this type of individual. They're holding on to their faith as an authentic believer. And also, they're living out what they believe in their life. They're not just saying they think it's true and not applying it to their lives. They're trying the best that they can to apply the Word of God to their lives so they have a clear conscience. Look at the next one. To be proven or tested first. Simply put, you don't grab somebody that has just become a Christian and make them a deacon. 
And it's someone that you've watched and you've seen these qualifications in their life on the front side. It's not like you ordain somebody and say, all right, now that you're a deacon, here's the way you have to live. No, you're looking for this on the front side of their life and then choosing them. Look at the next one. Blameless. This one really gives a lot of people problems. A lot of people refuse to even be considered for the office of deacon because they see this word blameless. See, you're thinking about it in the wrong way. I've got news for you. None of us are blameless. You understand that? I deserve to go to hell as much as anybody that lives on the face of this planet, and so do you. It's only by God's mercy and His grace that we're saved. That's not what it means. None of us have lived perfect lives or will always continue to live perfect lives. I think what blameless means is this. It means I'm transparent about what my life is. And if someone comes up and points out to me, I remember when you did this, all I can do is say, yeah, you're right. I did. But can I tell you what? (laughs) I've trusted Christ as my Savior now, and I'm trying the best that I can to follow Him. Or even as a believer, if you make a mistake, you will. You're human. If someone comes to accuse you of that, don't lie about it. Don't make an excuse about it. Just say, you're right. I made a mistake. Thank God for grace and mercy. That's, that's what I, I think it really means by blameless. It's someone that's being willing to be transparent about their mistakes in life instead of trying to cover them up. You see, here's the deal with that. If you're transparent about it, no one can hold it against you. They don't have room to gossip about it. If you've been transparent about it and you brought it before a church body or an accountability group or before God, who can hold it against you? Look at the next one. Their wives. Wills will be here at the next service. I'll get her at the next service. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just playing with you. I'm not meaning you to make you feel uncomfortable. But it talks about deacons' wives. They're to be honorable, devout, honest people. Not a slanderer. That can mean gossiper or a false accuser. The same word is also used to refer to Satan sometimes. Guys, I'm telling you, I've seen it happen in some churches to where a worst, one of the worst gossips in the church can be a deacon's wife. That is not supposed to happen. If it happens, it literally ought to disqualify her husband from serving as a deacon if he allows it to go on and support. It, it's, it's a work of who? Satan. That's what gossip is. If you've been through our membership class, you understand that we ask people to sign a church covenant at the end of the membership class, and the church covenant has gossip involved in it. We're really huge on that, and here's why. I honestly believe about 90% or higher of all the trouble I've seen happen in churches happen because people gossip about people and talk about people instead of going to people and trying to fix it. Sober thinking, sober-minded is what it's... Referring to being circumspect in the way they think. Someone that's faithful, someone that's trustworthy. Then come back to the deacon himself. It says husband of, of one wife. Man of one wife. One woman man is another way to translate it. Now let me deal with a little something here I've seen happen in churches before. I don't think that's a requirement that someone in order to be a deacon has to be married. And here's why. The Apostle Paul that wrote this was not married. Are you going to tell me you wouldn't have the Apostle Paul as a deacon in your church? So I don't think there's, you know, someone may not be called to be married all their life, and they're called not to be married. But it says a one-woman man. Now, some people take that differently. There are some people that take it as one wife at a time. There's evidence for that. And, you know, when you look at church history and what was said early on, and some people take it as never, ever divorced and remarried. Some people take it both ways. I'm telling you what it literally says is a one-woman man. Be focused. You, you guys need to be focused on your wives. We're calling you in a deacon ministry, but I want to tell you up front, Ken, look at me, both of you look at me up front. Your families and your wives are more important. They were given to you before any kind of church position. Amen. All the rest of the church, I'll say amen to that. Look at the next one. 
Managing their children in a household well. Some translations use the word rule, but that's not the idea that's being given. It's not the word, the, the idea of, uh, of the, you know, the father, the dad being like just, you know, forceful and a demagogue or something like that. It's the idea, uh, instead of being cruel or stern or a tyrant, it's more the idea of standing before them with a compassionate governing and leading and, and directing, trying to help them go on the right path as you love them and you pray for them. And I think the thought behind that is this. If somebody can't manage their own home, how are they going to help serve in a church situation? Last one is blessing. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, guys, it's a blessing for you to serve as a deacon. Not just that you've got some type of title or role, but look at what's said there. You gain good standing. We're not talking about you, you know, having some type of well-thought-of position for world people necessarily, but I think about good standing with God, good standing with Jesus as you serve Him. And look at the other part of the blessing. There's also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, as you serve Him and the more you serve Him, the more confidence you have of the faith that you have in Him. The more you serve Him and the more victories you gain in serving Him, the more confidence you have to step out and serve Him more. It's a blessing to serve in that capacity as deacon. What we've looked at, I think today, it might just be my opinion. You can have your own, but I think we've looked at a biblical picture of church deacons. And I realize this is what the message has been about. But before a deacon can be all these other things we've talked about, a deacon has to, first of all, know Christ as their Savior. So just maybe today as we get ready to close this service, maybe you're somebody that does not know Christ. Maybe you're somebody that needs to take your first step of faith. Hey, not only is it a blessing to serve as a deacon, it is a blessing to know Christ as your Savior. And as you trust in Him and you start on that path where you're walking, following Him, you gain more confidence in following Him day after day after day after day. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the band is going to play in just a moment and we're going to invite you to come. At the end of this service, I'm just going to have these men stand at the front. Be sure you know who they are and let them know that you'll be praying for them. At the end of the next service, we're going to take a little bit more time and kind of lay our hands on them, all the men that are ordained in the church and pray over them uh, as we kind of set them apart to deacon ministry. But here at the end of this service, we'll bring them up here. And, you know, you need to know who they are and let them know that you'll be praying for them in this step that they take. Let's pray. Father, if there's someone here today that does not know Christ as Savior, God, I pray that you'd speak to their heart. Lord, help them right now to put faith in you. Father, I pray right now there's someone here in this place that knows you as Savior. And God, maybe they've been trying to figure out how they can serve you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to them. And, and God, help them to see the way you've made them, the way you've gifted them. Uh, Lord, lead them to talk to Daryl as he works with our volunteers and find some place of service. Lord, day three church can be so much more that we should be for you if we just have everybody serving, everybody finding out their capacity, their giftedness, and using it in a way to honor you. So, Father, I pray that today. Father, I pray if there's someone here that's been a Christian for a long time and maybe no one's ever asked them about deacon ministry, or they've never thought about deacon ministry, and yet right now maybe they've got some questions. Father, I, I pray you'd, you'd lead, lead some of our men here just to come and talk to David or myself, and, and Lord, explore the possibility of becoming a deacon here at Day 3 Church so we can better serve our families. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you look on the back of your update card today, First one is you need to, you know, you realize you need to trust Christ. Second one is you prayed just a moment ago to receive Christ and you're wanting to let us know that. Third one says, I realize today there are misconceptions about the ministry of deacons and will pray churches move toward a more biblical understanding of the ministry of deacons. Number four, I realize that deacons serve an important spiritual ministry role in the church 
and commit to pray for the deacons at Day 3 Church. And then the last one, I'm a Christian man who has some interest in the deacon ministry. I'd like to speak to the deacon team and pastor about the possibility of serving here at Day 3 Church. The band plays. If God speaks to your heart, will you please come? You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.